Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hello, Ima. Hello, sweetheart. Good air of Shabbos to you. And yeah. Have you, have you recovered from your, the harrowing experience you had a couple of weeks ago of getting married? Oh, no, it was great. I, it's, <laughs> I, it's, yeah, no, thank God. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I've just been so busy with everything. That's why I kind of forgot yeah. the podcast this week, and I was like almost uh-huh. forgetting the whole thing until you called. Uh, I was just I'll... joking around, like I said, how we experience. I mean, like, like you know, let's face it, the wedding, you know, no, I get it. I get is, it. It's stressful, you know. It's, a, it's thank God it's a simple, but it's still stressful. That's you know, fine. about you know, the food, the caterer, all those people. Yeah, you know, making sure everybody has. You know, you want to make sure everyone has a good time and everything's okay. I got great reviews. I got oh, great good. reviews. But yeah. you, you heard. Um, but you heard what happened when the um, uh, what's it? The man in charge of the hall, who was the manager of the hall, came in. He wasn't supposed to come in that early. Did oh, really? Story? No, you didn't tell what me. What happened was here's what happened. He told me it was real hashgacha practice. He wasn't supposed to come in that early. He was just going to come in like later on in the afternoon because after all, it was a the couple the couple was called for five o'clock, and what happened was he forgot i think he forgot his tefillin he left them there's a shul there also and he left them there at the shul so he had to come there early in the morning to get them and he walks into the building and he said i don't know how much but there was a flood evidently there had been a rain the night before yeah and he came in i think i don't know how much water was on the floor two inches water pipe burst one of the bathrooms was closed because of it i remember that yeah and so um he said uh, he was able to call call the uh, crew, the maintenance crew, and they all came in you know, with the wet dry vacs and they were able to have the hall ready in time. But he said, had that not happened, had he come in regular time, we would have had like a wow, really. I'm so would have been, uh, yes. See, see, it's your mazel. Baruch Hashem. You bring, you bring brachas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All so right. anyway, I wanted to touch on something. Remember last week we were talking about botched up weddings. We talking about botched up weddings, like yours almost got flooded. But I, <laughs> um, I re- after I got off the phone with you, I remembered an incident in my family with my parents. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Whatever happened to your parents? Yeah. Buddy? Okay. Here's what happened. Um, my my father's father did not like my mother. He wanted my father to marry the shoe girl. The girl yeah, whose family I, was rich and had you mentioned a shoe that, I think, store. Before. I'm not sure on the podcast yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. So what happened was, um, my mother's father, uh, about like the week before the week before, before the wedding, uh, called the caterer to see how everything was going, and uh, you know, with the food and everything and the plans, and the caterer said to him, "I well that um." Your, the groom's father called and said the whole thing was off. The whole thing was canceled. And of course, my uh, mother's father, my maternal grandfather was uh, not happy. He said, no, it's not off, which I'm a little surprised. I guess in those days, I think they were very trusting. I mean, in this day and age, you would, you know, whoever is responsible for the contract would be the only one it seems to me that the caterer would talk to and if you know 
or at least call, you know, the the family who signed the contract. But evidently in those days, they weren't, I mean, they weren't that careful when it came to stuff like that. And so, uh, of course, my um, maternal grandfather, my mother's father, calls my father's father and says, what are you doing? And my father's father said, oh, he didn't like the menu. God. <laughs> That's why he did that. <laughs> so needless to say, so my uh, mother's father said to him, well, I lost my deposit because of you. And I want you to pay the deposit now. Hey, he said, I rescheduled. I, I scheduled the wedding. And I have to pay the caterer another deposit. And he says, I'm not, you know, I'm going to, I want you to do that since you were the one that uh, canceled the wedding without telling anybody. <laughs> I mean, canceling weddings without telling people can, uh, you know, it's kind of like, a, I guess a big social no-no. Yeah, it's a no-no. It's a thing you should be doing. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Anyway. Yes. So speaking of which, the, the music in, in the wedding was really nice. Um, but I was wondering in general, though, like if if there was going to be a song like that, you like someone had to be in hell for and you had to listen to the same song over and over again. What song do you think should be playing? <laughs> well, actually, I've been through that experience. Do you remember the story I made up called Licky and Sticky? I do remember that Licky and Sticky story. Yeah, Sto- right. It's well, majorly fat shaming and 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 causes major uh, body dysmorphia. Continue. Oh come on! But anyway, maybe <laughs> maybe I don't, should I want me to nah. sing it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Well, you know what? We'll have so an episode. Anyway, what, yeah. Well, I, All right. No, I'm saying we should probably have an episode uh-huh. about child stories, and it'll just be you telling child stories. But well, anyway, this story of Licky and Sticky. What happened was I. Um, one of the preschool teachers that I work with um, wanted some more material for the kids. And I told her I'd made up, you know, some stories, whatever. And I said, I'll send them to her. So I, re- I put, you know, I recorded them on this on the iPhone and sent them over to her. And she, the kids really liked that licky and sticky story. and wanted to hear it over and over and over again. So as I'm walking down the hall, Oh, last year, almost every day, all I heard was licky and sticky and licky and sticky and licky and sticky. Oh, God. <laughs> I myself, this is payback time. I'm getting it back now for well, all the, the times I told that story to my kids. And even one of the maintenance workers, this female maintenance worker, um, he, hears it and she walks over to me. She goes, what's this licky and sticky all the time? <laughs> I, I, I remember, though, you being able to go ahead and like, repeat little ditties over and over again and it would drive us insane like well, that's um why I got my pick pay, it up got pick it back. up don't leave it for your mother pick it up pick it up you <laughs> cannot do no other pick it up pick it up it's the thing to do pick it up pick it up remember you live here too yeah like you just put that on repeat but also your ability to wake us up in the morning was funny because you can hit the same note over and over and over again with the same pitch in the same sentence. So it's not like someone saying, time to get up. Come on, time to get up. It would be the same tone over and over again. Like, time to get up. Time to get up. Time to get up. Time to get up. Like, just on repeat. It would just drive well, you nuts I, waking up at I 7 o'clock to, in the morning going to school. I used to call it Slurpee time because I, I woke you guys up at 7-Eleven. Why 7-Eleven? I, I used to call it uh, Slurpee time, 7-Eleven. <laughs> um, 
because I felt, and I tried, I experimented a little bit with times waking you up and I found seven was a little too early. You guys like, you know, you just couldn't, you were too tired. 7.30 was way too late. We had to get out of the house at, uh, I think we had to leave like 10 after eight, something like that, or eight o'clock. We, we, um, Chakra started 7.45. Oh, so, oh, it's so, so <laughs> at, T, at TA? Yes, at TA, Chakra's at 7.45. Okay, your memory is better than mine. So, um, but I remember somehow like, waking up that, not 7.10, but 7.11, somehow that was, that was a good time. Hmm. That was, uh, you weren't uh, overly sleepy. That seemed to be a very good time to yeah, wake I, you up. I, I tried Do you remember to... that time, by the way? Yes, I think Super when you were 12 Bowl. years old, that you, no, you ditched, no, not the Super Bowl story, but what, that for, you were ditching. Um, oh my Shafferies. God. I was and doing I it for like a year and you. a half. It was seventh grade. I got caught. I was doing it for the whole sixth grade and half of seventh grade. You remember how I caught you? Yes, because I was foolish enough to take the Game Boy with the Game Boy game from Yosef, and Yosef wanted the Game Boy back, so you went to Chakras to look for me, and I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But, I, but what was funny was the way Tati punished me was he didn't punish me at all. He just looked me dead in the eye, and he was just, it was just a quiet moment, and he, he realized, I realized what I did. I said I was sorry, and I think he didn't say anything particularly, but something along the lines of like, all right, now it's time for you to realize that, you know, you have to be on, be go, go to chakras. You're, you're becoming bar mitzvah. And I never miss the chakras afterwards ever again. That was good. That was a very good way of him handling it. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting there. him to like, beat me or smack me right, or yell at me or something like <laughs> something really, really bad, but he didn't do anything like that. Yeah. Well, um, what was it? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh boy, you hit on. Oh yeah, Yosef. This is a real Rebbe story, very eerie Rebbe story. Um, when Yosef, um, I think I don't. I'm trying to think if he had already gotten bar mitzvah or was get very very close to it. So he wanted me to look in the Rebbe's letters, and um, yeah, the Rebbe was already deceased. So he wanted to look me to look in the Rebbe's letters. And ask, he wanted to ask the rabbi for a bracha for his bar mitzvah by, you know, looking in the rabbi's letters. We do, yeah. you know, for those of you who are not Chabadics, we, uh, this is like, I guess it's like a, how would you say it? Supernatural Seance. type thing that we do, I guess. It's not a say. So anyway, it, it, it's, um, it, okay. I mean, I can, I can explain a little bit of it and then we could go back uh-huh. to our regular programming. Um, <laughs> what it is, is it's, it's, you're trying to connect to your spiritual leader and you look through the letters that he wrote to other people with similar problems and you try to connect it to yourself. So what you do is you, there's, there's a books of his letters and you go to the category of what you're looking for. For instance, you're having trouble making money and you're, you're looking for a new business. So there's a section that talks about new business. So you sift through the letters until you find one that makes sense to you and you take that into consideration. That's, that's what you should be doing. Well, I, I do it. I did it a little differently. What I would do is I would take a book of the Rebbe's letters and I would say, Kavod Kedusha Admor, and I would say my question. And then I would kind of like, I would kind of like shake up the book a little bit, like, you know, move the pages around. Like a an eight bit, ball. And then, yeah. And then let the, let the book open naturally by itself. And then 
then I would look at that page to see if it was apropos to what I asked. And sure enough, I did that. And yes, it was a letter to a boy who was getting bar mitzvah. And it was a bracha for this boy getting bar mitzvah. And the entire letter talked about the importance of saying tachanon. Mm. And I was a little surprised. And I said to Yosef, my goodness, I'm very, very surprised about this letter. I was expecting something like about, um, you know, being a year of Shemayim and being blessed with good health and, you know, using your good health to do mitzvahs. But Dafka Tachanan? I said, I wonder why we got this answer. Yosef put his head down and, told, and said to me, Ima, I have not been davening. I have not been davening Tachanan. Interesting. That's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's funny because I remember us as being kids and like I like the fact that our family never had an issue with like being told having not being around people because of bad influences, except for I think one person we were told not to hang out with. But I guess for you, I want to know what was the moment you looked at maybe one of your friends and realized that they were no longer a friend and you were trying to cut ties? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, going back to what you commented, the reason I never believed in saying you're not allowed to be with that person, yada, yada, is because um, unless that person was involved in real serious criminal activity that I knew about, for sure, which I think that one person, that one, that one person was, but if it was just some kid that was, uh, you know, a little on the wild side, uh, you know, even a kid that was maybe using foul language, you know, I feel this way that um, I wouldn't want anyone doing that with my kids. And um, unless it's, and thank God you kids, you know, did not get into any very, very serious, horrible trouble. Um, I'm one of these people, I'm, let's put it this way, and people have criticized me for this in a way, especially, you know, when I was in my dating um, a stage, that they say, you know, you're, you're the type of good person who you like to think good about people and you like to give everybody a chance. And somebody said that they felt that I'm too much that way because um, when people offered me shidduchim, I would never say no. I would take any shidduch they offered to me because I felt that, you know, uh, there's a reason for this person offering the shidduch and I should give this young man a chance. I, I understand. You know, he, I understand know, go that out logic. With him, see what he's like. Give, give him a chance. But some people, you know, criticized me and said, "Listen, you know, you're going out with guys that are just not totally not for you, like way, way in left field." And I said, "But you know, I said, but I, you know, I don't. I just believe in you know, going out with these guys. You know, hearing them out and seeing, you know, let them, you know, seeing what kind of person they are, and just like I said, just giving them a chance." See, I, I with with that logic, when it comes to dating, I think it's, I think. We should have dating. It's a little different, but it's more of like you're trying to feel out what you're looking for. And and sometimes, and I'm a really strong believer in this. Sometimes you should take an extreme one end or another to find the balance that you have. Because how do you know what you want or what you don't want if you don't really choose anything or you're constantly just waiting for that that right moment? You have to like right. make that Absolutely. make that right. moment. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... especially I tell you that especially I don't like I hear stories. I've heard stories lately about some, you know, from people 
who like order from people that one of the reasons they're having trouble finding shaduchim is that their families are very big on yichus and what's it called gej? Is that it? Yeah, that's chabad. And, chabad uses gej. Everyone else says yeah, yichus. And, okay, so, and I am so so against that. I'm sorry. Everybody has the right to stand on their own merit, no matter what their family background is. I mean, look at look at the imahos. Look at their background. I mean, if those, they, if at the Ima hosts were looking for Shaduchim in today's day and age, I don't think they, they'd have a real hard time finding somebody. People say, look at that, look at that girl's brother. He's in Russia. You don't like it mixed up in that family, that crazy family. Yeah. I mean, that's just, well, that, that's where it gets to what, I, what I've noticed when it comes to just like really messed up things people say to each other. Like, like I was thinking like, what's the worst thing anybody could ever like say to a child or never say to a child, mm. you know, like, I, I don't know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's with like good intentions, like saying someone is like so talented or you have a gift. It, it's, it, it throws kids off. And like, it's hard to understand. Like they think that hard work shouldn't come to them or they don't know how to do hard work, you know? And like, it's just, I mean, you're, are you talking about parents and teachers giving discouraging statements? Is that no, I'm yes. having a hard time understanding what well, you're I, talking I, I about. I understand. I'm talking. I'm talking about like. I remember because the weird thing I remember growing up, sometimes being told that like, oh, um, you're very smart, uh, you have a talent, um, and I didn't get that as a. And so when I got older, there were moments that like, oh, I'm smart. I should get this right away. And because I didn't understand something right away, I started putting myself down saying, well, maybe I'm just stupid because I didn't get something right away. When really it's just life in general takes hard work and effort and time. And well, well Mike is just the opposite. I was always being told that I was stupid. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I was always being told that I was stupid and I was no good. It would never be any good. <laughs> wow. She is talking about encouragement. And, yeah. <laughs> I see, I see it kind of swung the other way around in the 90s where it, it was just, you know, it was like overly positive praising that made people start like questioning their reality. I mean, it's, I'm not saying like, I'm just saying life is a journey and you have to find, find your balance. But Listen, there's, not, there's nothing wrong in being, I'm an education, we were debating this one time in one of my education classes. How much praise? Um, what type of praise? Um, is there, you know, a balance? You know, you don't want to be overly critical either. So the conclusion that the class came to was honesty is the best policy, basically. Um, name calling, put downs, that's not going to give any information. If a child is talented in an area, tell them, you seem to have, you know, you seem to be very talented, say like in music. You seem to be very talented in music. Um, maybe you should take private lessons, type, that type of thing, or, you know, look, in, look into the idea of maybe uh, making a career out of this uh, instrument or this uh, musical area where you are, or if someone's talented in art, you, you can be honest with them and say, you really have a, seem to have a very big talent in art, um, and have, like, point out to them the, you know, the, the specifics, like, I like the way you mix these colors, look at all these nice, varied colors you're using, you seem to have an eye for shape and for shading, that seems to be an innate ability. That's really good. And then as far as like criticism goes, 
you have to be honest with a kid. And if a kid is having trouble in a certain area, you have to sit down with them, say like in math, you have to sit down with them and say, you seem to be having trouble, say like um, adding two digit numbers. Let's sit down together and let's work this out and we'll work on it. We'll work on it together. And that's how a teacher does it, you know, and have the kids start, have the kids start like, for instance, in math, have the kids, I did that with you. I had you start the problem. Remember you oh were having God, a hard it. time in algebra. I hated and, it. And I had you, you started, I had you like begin working on the problem. And in the beginning of the problem, you would start and stage one, stage two was correct. But then you would get to a point where um, now you were starting to go on left field. Now this was not the right technique or the right, um, uh, I can say formula. And at that point I would stop because what I wanted to do was I, and what everybody should, every teacher or parent should do is see exactly the point where the kid is not getting it. And the only way to do that is have them begin the problem or begin the composition or begin whatever it's, whether it's writing, whether it's math, have them begin it and say, okay, this part is good. This part is good. Yeah, this is correct. This is correct. Ah, here's the part that you don't, that you're having trouble with. That's the best thing to say. Here's the part you're having trouble with, or here's the part um, where it's not quite correct. And let me show you now what to do at this point. And then you show them exactly what to do at that point and then have them repeat that, have them copy it until, and then have them try it on their own. See, to tell somebody, this is really bad education. I've seen parents do this. You're just going to have to figure it out yourself. Um, yeah. That puts the kids, like, the kids need guidance. They're not going to be able to figure it out themselves. They, there's a reason why this child is a child and you are a parent or you are a teacher. You're there to guide them. So show them exactly where they're messing up or, you know, what they have to do to correct themselves. And then there are some parents who they say, well, I don't want to give them the answer. I want them to figure it out for themselves. In the beginning, you have to give them the answer. You model it for them. You show them how to do the problem. You model it for them and then have them copy it and then have them try a problem that's the same as that one, but maybe with different numbers. And now they can do it themselves. Yeah. I, I, but you just can't throw stuff at them. I, I used to get so frustrated because I remember learning with you. Um, Remember, I remember it, this was crazy. Looking back, I'm realizing this was like a lot for a kid to handle. I was surprised that I, I felt like I was the only one struggling with this. But when I was in TI, first grade, we had to do 20 pesukim, translate them in Hebrew and English, um, like a week. And, and I agree with you. We did that. It was we, too much. We did that. Like I remember doing it with you Shabbos afternoon, like right before Shabbos is over, about an hour before Shabbos is over just going through it. And I remember just getting so angry and frustrated and not knowing what to do. And then like, I wanted to take a break and like, you wouldn't let me take a break and I'd have to power through it. And it's just, it was just a struggle. It was just such a struggle. And just looking back and realize like how ridiculous that was. Like, what are you teaching I agree with the you 100%. Kid? Yeah, I agree with you. That's why I took you out of that school. I felt that their expectations were unrealistic for a normal, for an for, for a normal child. This one mother, she kept her kids in. And I, I asked her, how do you do those like 
oh, there's Pasuki with a little kid like this. And she said what happened was she broke it up during the day and she found herself like basically every few hours they were going back to it. They spent the whole day going back to it and going back to it and going back to it, like breaking it up into like segments of five Pasukim or something. And I thought, you, you know, I just thought that was too much. You know, you can't spend an entire day, but maybe for her kids, that was what was apropos because one of them became a, became a rabbi, <laughs> became a, a, a rather, uh, well, not, you know, but not everybody's cut out for that. If your kid's cut out for that type of stuff, God bless you. Wonderful. But not every kid is cut out for that type of, um, how can I say it? That type of learning. Education still needs to be revamped. I mean, what they're doing now, like, I don't know, they, they, I think they still need to go ahead and revamp everything. Education is very new when it comes to teaching. And a lot of times growing up, I felt it was a lot of forcing a square peg into a round hole until eventually like the square peg turned into like a round peg and everything else was just chipped away. We're like, it wasn't necessarily like, I mean, we are doing this together and I'm learning and it's a flow. It's more of just a force where you're just like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually you get into something where you get figured out. Like, it's just, I, you really had to work hard to understand something. Um, I think that's what I learned how to do is how to just push and learn how to figure something out um, with the education that, that I, that I got, because it wasn't very floofy. It wasn't very like flowy. It was more of like, you just have to bang your head against the wall until eventually something came out. The thing with education, first of all, in any area where you're working with people, Working with people is very complicated because we are, you know, God created us as very complicated creatures and God purposely created us to be very complicated so that nobody can totally control another individual. Yeah. And the problem with education, when you're dealing with something like education, where you're dealing with human beings, especially children, um, like I said, you know, complicated creatures and one technique that might work for one child that technique might not work for another child because they're thinking along a different line. So how do you teach to a class of like 20, 25 kids so that they all understand and they're all able, and they're all able to, um, how can I say that they're all able to um, succeed in, in learning these skills. And another thing too, with education is how much we want, you know, we want to, the trend is most people today, really want education, learning to, to be fun and to be pleasant and to be a positive experience for children. But sometimes it comes to a point where, hey, you just, the child just has to memorize in certain areas, memorizing and regurgitating is basically what you need to do to learn it. How yeah. else? I mean, you can make games out of it or something, but in the final analysis, in order to be to able to evaluate that child, there has to be some sort of test where you can see very clearly where this child is standing. So you know what skills they still need to work on and where they need help. True. True. It's, 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 a very, it's, very, it's very complicated. It's not easy. Yeah, I, I know. I, I want to talk about this longer, mm-hmm. but we're out of time. Sure. But we've, you have to um, be happy though on one thing. 
we have come a long way from my father's day where the teacher carried a rod. Yes. And yes. hit you over the hand with it when you weren't paying attention or learning. A hundred percent. I hope we've come a long way from that. I think we have. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You might have a wonderful Shabbos. You too. Have a great Shabbos, honey. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother episode. Please like and subscribe our Facebook group at Jewish Boy Calls His Mother podcast and check out our YouTube channel, Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I know you'd like it. and My mother would appreciate it too.